If you have your copy of God's Word, join me in turning to Psalm 33. And this text will be the basis of a message I've entitled, Real Hope in Hopeless Times. Real Hope in Hopeless Times. Psalm 33, verse 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From His dwelling place He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory. Nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. On those who hope for His loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Would you pray with me? God, whether it is a sermon being preached the first time, the second time, or the third time, I, I pray, God, that it would be a sermon preached for you and for your glory, for your honor, and for the good of those that you love and that love you. God, I ask that you would uh, give, give me divine enablement in the next few moments uh, to preach with clarity and with accuracy your word and God, I pray to, to stir your people towards hopefulness, renewed hopefulness in the God who calls us your very own. We love you and we thank you and we praise you for life everlasting in Christ the Son. Amen. Again, this morning's message is titled, Real Hope in Hopeless Times, from Psalm 33. In life... It is sometimes good to have a backup plan. When Tim Tebow realized he would not be re-signed in the NFL as a quarterback, he decided to try baseball. 
as long as it wouldn't interfere with his other backup plan, being a college football commentator. And you know what? Tim Tebow has done a pretty good job making a career out of backup plans. In fact, he's done such a good job working the backup plan that the Tim Tebow Foundation, which he has funded with some of the resources that he has earned in his various professional careers, they have underwritten with a grant an opportunity for us to host a night to shine, a special needs evening event for kids in the Roanoke Valley aged 14 and older on February the 10th. So if you're a member of North Roanoke Baptist Church and interested in helping out that night, there remain many, many opportunities available, and you can contact Diane Morris to learn more. And if you don't know how to do that, just call our church office. And if you don't know how to do that, check us out on the web at nrbc.org. But back to backup plans. Psalm 33 is a reminder to those who belong to God by faith that we do not need a backup plan for faith in the all-faithful God. Commentators Kyle and Delich call this a psalm of praise to the ruler of the world as being the defender of his people. Aren't you glad that God, even in tumultuous times, is the defender of his people? I submit to you when a country is $20 trillion in debt and climbing, when real family incomes have declined an average of $5,000 per household, when corruption in government goes from rare to commonplace, when 21% of pregnancies end in an abortion in our country, when Christians are fined for running privately held businesses according to the principles of their faith, when a black father has to have the talk with his son and the topic is why his skin color makes him more likely to be pulled over when a police officer has to fear for her life simply for putting on her work uniform when we walk into a voting booth on november the 8th and we feel powerless to change the course of our country what can we do i submit to you that in Psalm 33, we find four things that we not only can do, we must do. To be God's nation or His people in troubled times, we must praise God for the integrity of His Word and His work. We see that in verses 1 through 5. We must understand that God frustrates the nations to fulfill His plan for His nation. We see that in verses 6 through 12. Thirdly, we see that we must not trust in false saviors. We see that in verses 13 through 17. And finally, we must hope in God alone. Now, I began by saying to be God's nation or his people in troubled times. What we must understand from verse 12 is that God's nation does not refer to the United States of America. It refers rather to people who belong to God by faith in every generation until Christ returns. The nation that God is speaking of here are those who he calls in verse 12, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. In other words, those who have received the promises of God by faith in his promised and provided son. We are North Roanoke Baptist Church if we have placed our hope and our faith in Christ, a nation within our nation. We are the nation for whom God has special concern and care. And as such, as those who have received the promises of God by faith, we must hope in our God, and we begin by praising our God for the integrity of His Word and His work. The psalmist begins 
by giving us several commands in the first three verses. Sing for joy. Give thanks, verse 2. Sing praises, verse 2. Sing to him a new song, verse 3. Play skillfully, verse 3. The psalmist urges all of us, his congregation, these are verbs that are issued as commands not to individuals who happen to be particularly good at music only, but to the entire congregation. He issues these as commands for us to give joy and to delight in the Lord by singing to the Lord, verse 3. In other words, our worship on Sundays and when we gather is worship that should be motivated by our joy in the Lord. It should be offered in joy to the Lord and it should be offered by all of God's people together. This is why congregational singing is so important. It's why hearing from the congregation and not just from the platform is so important as we gather because all of us who have trusted in Christ have been brought together by one spirit in one faith to worship God together for what He has done. And what He has done is He has given us Himself. We rejoice in this gospel. Music is a God-given way of expressing to God and to others what we delight in. When I watch the Olympics, I especially enjoy seeing someone from the good old United States of America take the stand and whisper the words of our country's anthem with tear-filled eyes straining to even get out the words as his or her, her heart is welling with pride. And I submit to you that is a very good thing to do. But for those who are in the Lord, those who are counted among the righteous ones, verse 1, through faith in Christ, we are citizens not just of these United States of America, we are citizens of a better everlasting nation with a better everlasting anthem, an anthem that we find in Revelation chapter 5. And the words of that anthem go something like this, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I submit to you, dear brothers and dear sisters, we must not lose this perspective as we discuss elections and politics and the state of our country. We are a nation within our nation, a nation with an anthem that will never end a nation with an anthem about the greatness of the God and King who has saved us. And it is becoming, verse 1, or beautiful or appropriate for those who have been made upright to praise God. Although Micah writes, an upright man among men, there is none. Chapter 7, verse 2, we like Abraham can be counted among those who are upright through faith in Christ, God's provided Son. And why do we praise God? We praise Him because of the integrity of His Word and His work. We can know that we are counted among the uprights because God's Word is upright, meaning it is reliable. And He carries out His work in faithfulness. Upright means reliable or straight or level or pleasing to God. God always acts in a way that is pleasing to God. He never disappoints himself. Faithfulness means steadiness or firmness. His work is conducted in faithfulness. You don't have to doubt if God will get the job 
done. His counsel stands forever, verse 11. Both the word and the work of God are absolutely reliable because they come from the absolutely reliable God. What a great thing to know that as we come to God's word, we don't have to doubt it, question it, or circumvent it. We can trust what God has said is what God will do. And because of this, we can have confidence in the salvation that God has promised that we have in his son. And we know full well that God's plan includes a day when the whole earth will be full of His glory. Isaiah sings about this day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Even when the world seems to be falling apart, we know in verse 5 that He is a God who loves righteousness and justice. And He loves those things more than we do because He is those things. Those are the very essence of His character. And a day is soon coming when Christ returns and the earth will be full of this loving kindness, this covenant faithfulness, this mercy of the Lord, not only from sea to shining sea, but to the ends of the earth. To be God's nation in troubled times, we must praise God for the integrity of His Word and His work. Secondly, We must understand that God frustrates the nations to fulfill His plan for His nation. Have you ever called an expert to fix something? I have. Back in Raleigh, we had some plumbing issues that exceeded the non-existent home improvement capacities of your pastor. So I called the plumber. And then when he arrived... His name was Steve. About every five minutes, I found an excuse to check in on Steve. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Tell me about your life. Hey, Steve, how about the game last weekend? I mean, NC State looked really good. Hey, Steve, would you like something to drink? Just because Steve was a plumber and was credentialed, he was making some noise up in the bathroom And the noise was building, and I began to question whether this guy that I called because I didn't know what I was doing knew what he was doing. So I, the novice, kept checking in on the expert just to make sure that Steve had it all under control. Do you know we can be like that as Christians when it comes to national elections? Thinking that somehow we can step in and help God out. And to be sure... This November the 8th, we should vote our Christian conscience, but we need to remember who is in control. The God of heaven, whose ways are higher than our ways, and whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Isaiah 55, 9. God has the long view, the eternal perspective on everything. What looks like an unmitigated and disastrous mess to us right now will make soon make sense to us soon enough. The psalmist reminds us of God's creative power in verses 6 through 9. He does this to heighten our understanding of what God is able to do right now. In the beginning, God spoke and it was done. Verse 9, God's word in the beginning performed the purpose for which it was sent in the beginning. God's creative power, there was nothing, and suddenly there was something. And it is that kind of power with which God still governs His universe today. He continues to perform His purpose now. His word and His work will not fail. If we trust Him, 
dear brother, dear sister, to keep the oceans at the shore, we can certainly trust him in turbulent political times. If God's plan for winning his nation, meaning his people, does not include making our nation, America, great again, will we still praise Him? If our country never moves forward together, if we're never stronger together, will we still serve Him? In verse 10, the psalmist reminds us of God's work. He reminds us that it includes the nullification the canceling out of the counsel or the thinking or the strategizing of nations and the frustration of the plans of people. We should not be surprised to find that we live in frustrating times because God is at work frustrating the plans of peoples who do not know Him. Humanity has been trying to create heaven on earth without God since Adam failed and left the garden. But we cannot have heaven on earth without God who looks from heaven, verse 13, and who by His word made the heavens and all their starry hosts, verse 6. You see, God, the God of heaven, is actively thwarting the plans of nations. Why? So that more people might become a part of His everlasting nation. So that more people might come to the end of themselves and dis dis discover that they can't make heaven on earth. That they can't make peace with God on their own. God must come and choose them. And they have been chosen in Christ. The people whom He has chosen as, in, as His inheritance, verse 12. Those who come to Him through faith in His everlasting Son. Because the council of the Lord stands forever in every culture and in every generation. Verse 11, the plans of nations fail. Because God's plan is unfailing, all other plans eventually fail. Including the plans of the good old United States of America. But nothing that God does not His Word, not His work, or His plan will fail. You see, either God is in control or he, or he is not. And for the psalmist, He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. And we must stand in awe of Him, verse 8, even when we do not understand the unfolding of His plan. Charles Spurgeon said this, when I cannot trace God's hand, I know that I can still trust His heart. Our ultimate hope is not in where we live in these United States of America, but it is in whose we are. We belong to the one true God who has chosen us by His inheritance when we place our faith in His promised Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. A few months later, the Palmers had another plumbing issue. This time it was more serious. But this time, because Steve had proven himself capable, I called him again and I stayed out of his way. I trusted his plan. Despite the banging, because he had proven himself trustworthy. 
God has proven himself trustworthy in this. He did not spare his only son, but gave him over to death that we would not have to die. We do not have to question the God who made the plan and has given his son for its fulfillment. When we do not understand, we can still trust the God who made the plan. Thirdly, to be God's nation, to be His people in troubled times, we must not trust in false saviors. Our success or failure in the political arena is very important. I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning, church. It impacts our families, our children, our grandchildren, our nonprofit status, our insurance rates, our military, the lives of the unborn, and it impacts our neighbors whom God has called us to love. If our country's current cultural and political trajectories continue, the new challenges for devout believers living in these United States are many. So we should indeed make an informed vote of Christian conscience this November, but what we must not do is give in to the temptation to trust in false saviors. You know, if we could just get so-and-so elected, everything would be fine. If we just had the Supreme Court, it would be morning in America again. If we could just elect a reformer with results, our economy would thrive. If we could strike a new deal with other countries, jobs would instantaneously return. If we could just spend more money on education, our kids would be competitive on the world stage. And the list goes on and on and on. When we put our hopes in the next election, we risk putting God in a box. Like he's up in heaven, powerless to do anything to forward or to accomplish his plan unless the political conditions in our country are perfect. But in verses 13 and 14, the psalmist reminds us heaven is not a palace in which God remains idle. It is a royal court from which he exercises his government over all parts of the world, so says John Calvin. God is holy, set apart in heaven, but he is not aloof, unengaged in the affairs of his world. Indeed, we find in verse 15 that he is at work fashioning the hearts and the works of people. In other words, even though people think they're going in their own way and they're rebelling against God and doing whatever it is they want to do, God knows how all that is being fashioned and worked together so that his plan will indeed come to fruition. As Pharaoh hardened his heart, God in turn hardened the heart of Pharaoh in order that Pharaoh would be guilty and that God's people would go free. As Calvin summarizes, what we learn is that men cannot, by the erring devices of their own thoughts, diminish the authority of God over them. Even when we lose an election, God is still winning. When we forget this, we are tempted to trust in false saviors. A strong military, for instance, but the king is not saved by a mighty army or a warrior delivered by his great strength. The words saved and delivered in verse 16 are the same words that are often used of our salvation by God. The salvation that only God can give cannot come through any other 
means. Politics is about who will hold the power, but all are powerless to thwart God's plan. Neither Hillary Clinton nor our country will be saved by her political pedigree. Neither Donald Trump nor our country will be saved by his business prowess. In verse 17, the horse represents all other earthly sources of hope. We can and we should work for good government, North Roanoke Baptist Church, but we are not saved by these things. If we're not careful, these things can become false hope for us. Do you see that there in verse 17? A horse is false hope. The word false means lying or deceiving. They are a false hope for victory. God's people are not saved by a strong military or their education or where they live. God's people are saved by God alone. As Moses writes in Deuteronomy 33:29, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. To be God's nation in troubled times, we must not trust in false saviors. Finally, to be God's people in troubled times, we must do the opposite of trusting in false saviors. We must hope in God alone. The way we avoid trusting in false saviors, falling prey to the temptation to put all our hope and trust in something that is less than God and His deliverance, the way we avoid that is by hoping in God. In verse 18, the psalmist begins with this command, Behold, he tells us to stare at, to ponder, to gaze upon the great hope that we have through God alone. And when we truly hope in God, we also fear him. Notice that his eye is on those who fear him. In the Bible, fearing God and proper living are so closely related that they are virtually synonymous ideas. So to fear God doesn't just mean it doesn't mean to be afraid of him. It means to be so in so uh, such reverential awe of him that you naturally want to do what it is that God has asked you to do. We see this concept in Leviticus 19 and 14, Leviticus 25 and 17, 2 Kings 17 and 34, Deuteronomy 17 and 19. In other words, we can't go on saying that we are hoping in God, that God is my hope and stay on the one hand, and then living like the world and living for false saviors on the other. In verse 13, we learn that God sees everyone. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. But in verse 18, we see that His eye is on those who hope in Him. God's eye being upon you versus being seen generally along with all other men, it signifies God's special attention and protection. David picks up on this concept in Psalm 17, verse 8, when he says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. You see, North Roanoke, God has His protective eye on those who are residents and citizens of His holy nation. And our hope should be as evident to others as God has been faithful to us. His eye is on you, child of God. And what is the basis of our hope? If it's not false saviors, the basis of our hope is found in verse 22. The basis of our hope is God Himself. Let Your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in You. 
the God who has shown us His loving kindness or His mercy in Christ, who died for us, verse 18. The God who delivered us, literally, who snatched us from death, verse 18, by freely giving His Son to die for us, verse 19. The God who delivered us from the everlasting penalties of our sin, including the penalty that we deserve, the curse of famine. When famine is referenced in verse 19, what the author is alluding to are the curses that we deserved for our sin. But God came in the form of Jesus Christ and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. Cursed is the man who hangs upon the tree. Christ himself came and allowed himself to be accursed in order that we would not have to bear up under the curses we deserve for our sin. It is this God who is our help and our shield, the one for whom our soul confidently waits, verse 20. And our soul waits for him in good times and in bad. Why? Because we trust in his holy name, the name above every name. The God of all gods with all power and authority to accomplish his purposes and rescue us, his chosen people, his Nation, Yes, dear brother, dear sister, we should be passionate for our country. And we should desire that we make decisions that are right and good. But our hope is not dashed when our country fails to honor God. God and His people, His nation within this nation and among the nations wins. And we will be revealed with this God in the last day. So as we discuss politics in our homes, at the office, and on social media, let's do so in a way that people know we have true hope in God no matter what. As you go to the office or visit with a neighbor or post that comment on Facebook, is the watching world able to say and able to see that you have a hope that the world simply does not have? Don't give in to the cynicism and the callousness of the world as you discuss politics in this political season. Why? Because our victory is not found on Capitol Hill. Our victory flows from Calvary's Hill. And it is a victory that is sure as the resurrection of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, the apostle says this, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you what? Who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. North Roanoke Baptist Church, may it be said, no matter what happens on November the 8th, that North Roanoke Baptist Church is a hope-filled people on November the 9th. While this political season matters immensely, my friend J.D. Greer has written, the church does not ultimately depend on what happens in Washington. The hope of the church, whether in the first century or the 21st, is not found in political decisions, but in the power of Christ through His people. Whomever becomes our president in January, one thing is certain. Jesus will be seated on the throne. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we confess to you 
how easy it is to grow weary, how easy it is to become cynical, how easy it is to fix our eyes on the false saviors that this world parades in front of us and to take our eyes off of you and off of the fact that you've given us yourself. God, help us to be a people who delights in the gospel, who rejoices in the gospel, who sings together the good news of the gospel, and who refuses to give in to hoping in false saviors. May we be a people that as the watching world sees us, they have to ask, why is it that you are so full of such great hope? We ask it all in your name, the name above every name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.